we're in John chapter 19. I know it's kind of dark. I'm going to read this section of scripture to you. And by the way, uh, we'll be toggling tonight between teaching and worship. Um, of course, our prayer is that the Spirit of God would just fill this place and fill our hearts as we really lean into the suffering of Christ on our behalf. Now, as we read these verses tonight, I want you to key in on the word king. Can you do that tonight? Can you do it tonight? All right, there you are. Thanks. Verse 1, the Bible says this, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And when the, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, rightly so. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and, to, and the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. 
So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were, were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with them. Man, that's just a, it's a wild picture to imagine in your head. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things that took place, for these things took place, that the scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. You know, I think that, I think that we're drawn to stories about kings who win their thrones, and you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about kings who fight against all odds, kings who are a comeback story, fighting against overwhelming forces, kind of like the forsaken prince who overcomes an evil uncle who has stolen the throne from the rightful heir. Probably you think of Lion King tonight for some of you advanced in the academic world. And I think, I think for us, you know, those tall tales don't really seem to have a lot of meaning, but in the days of monarchs, these things for sure mattered because people pleaded, people begged, people prayed for a good king because their lives hung in the balance. It's been said, as goes the king, so goes his people. And, you know, this was true for Israel. If you consider the history of Israel, you know that the, the blessing or the cursing of the people rested really directly on the king that they had. I think about Saul versus David or Ahab versus Hezekiah or Jeroboam versus Josiah. 
You know, when there was a good king, I'm, I'm just simply saying this to you tonight, when there was a good king, the people were blessed, and when there was a bad king, the people were cursed. And then, of course, you think about Jesus Christ. Maybe you didn't know it, but the Gospels, the Gospel itself tells the story of a king's love for his people. This king didn't inherit a kingdom. This king built his kingdom with his own nail-scarred hands. Soul by soul, person by person, heart by heart, for you who are sitting in the front row, for you who are sitting in the middle of uh, the worship center tonight, for those of you in the back, Jesus didn't just get a, a kingdom by lineage. He wasn't born into something that had been passed on from generation to generation. No, our king, this king, and you know, you can tell a lot when you look at a person's hands. We were moving things around today, and, and it was kind of rough work, and one of the guys said to me, hey, it's good to get those pastor hands on some difficult things, you know, because the, the picture is this. We just, you know, mess around with books and type things up, and so there's no calluses on these hands. And so, you know, you may look at a person who works in an office and come to the conclusion, well, you know, you see the hands, there's no calluses. They have kind of an, an easier an easier type of work. I'm not saying, you know, it's mentally easier or intellectually easier. You, you know what I'm talking about. But we're also in a construction community. So, you know, you get someone who's got a lot of calluses on their hands. You look at their hands and they're, they're all nicked up and dinged up. And there's missing fingernails and there's big calluses. And you're like, oh, man, that, that person probably works in, in, in the construction world. He probably has a trade where, you know, he's working with his hands or she's working with her hands all the time. You can tell a lot about a person by their hands. When you look at his hands, they're nail-scarred hands. They're nail-scarred hands. You know, he was busy building something because he didn't just inherit it. It wasn't passed on from generation to generation. He said himself to Pilate, for this purpose, I was born into the world. And you know, he worked to build a kingdom through his suffering, one single soul at a time. For, for you, anybody in the house of God happy about that tonight? For you and for me. For you and for me. And listen, what are we? What are we? We're people who are broken in our sin and separated from God. Let me put it a different way, and I don't, I don't mean to unnecessarily offend you tonight, but, but what are we? Who would want us? Do you know what I'm talking about tonight? Some of you are in intimately familiar with the reality of your own lostness, your own sinfulness. You are deeply connected to how much you don't deserve God. And in that capacity that I believe is, is spirit-given, because, you know, that type of insight doesn't come without the Holy Spirit touching your heart, opening up your eyes, and giving you the recognition that in and of yourself, you are infinitely separated from God. And, and so you realize in that place, man, who are we? Who are we that we would be the object of someone's desire? Who would ever want us? And and you know what? Let me tell you tonight who wants you. Can I tell you tonight who? Maybe you better tell me tonight who wants you. What's his name? His name's Jesus. His name's Jesus. He loves you. And in fact, the Bible says this, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, 
and the base things, by the way, do you know, do you know who this is talking about? You're like, yeah, it's talking about you, Pastor. Yeah, you know, you're right. It is talking about me, but it's talking about you too. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, what has he done? God has chosen. God has chosen. He didn't, he didn't, just, he didn't just inherit you. It wasn't like he was given the runt of the litter and it was just placed in his lap. No, he picked you from before the foundation of the world. And I want to tell you tonight, as we read through John chapter 19, it's easy for us. It's easy for us to miss the details. But every aspect of his suffering was intended from a worldly perspective, from Pilate's perspective, from the perspective of the religious leaders. Every aspect of his suffering was intended to ridicule to shame, and to mock him as the king of the Jews. That was from their perspective. But from his perspective, every detail of his suffering was intended to build his kingdom. You guys know there's a, there was a difference. Between, first of all, you know Jesus is a king, right? Did you know he's the king? All right, good. Just want to make sure. You know, there's a difference between the way the kings of the earth were treated and the way the suffering king was treated. Earthly kings have crowns. Crowns are made of gold and pearls and diamonds and sapphires, precious gems, emeralds, things like that. In fact, St. Edward's crown, which is the imperial crown of the monarchy of England, has about 2,800 diamonds. Crazy, crazy to think about that. 17 sapphires, 11 emeralds, 269 pearls, and four big rubies. And on May 6th of this year, you're going to see that crown majestically, ceremoniously placed on the head of King Charles. This king, our king, our suffering king, the eternal king, had a crown of thorns. His crown was built for torture and mockery. It wasn't majestically placed upon his head. It wasn't as if there was this ceremony with pomp and circumstance. These soldiers hurriedly put this crown together, plated it together with the intention of creating as much pain as possible. And then after plating this crown and setting it on his head, they took a reed and they beat that crown down upon his head upon that holy brow not to honor him but to hurt him not to proclaim his majesty but to mock him but i want you to listen to me tonight are you listening tonight he was crowned with thorns so you could be crowned with glory can i say it again he was crowned with thorns so you could be crowned with glory man say the word glory with me tonight earthly kings have robes Robes are a royal mantle. They're a symbol of a king's authority. They're made from the finest materials, and of course, they're made of purple. purple. They're colored purple because purple was the color of royalty or majesty. This king was given a robe. Our king was given a robe. It was a, a garment, a piece of cloth. It was not made with the finest materials. It was not adorned with fur. 
It was ruggedly draped around his shoulders, soaking up his blood after his scourging. He was ultimately, as you know, crucified on a cross and he was stripped naked in front of his followers and in front of his critics. And he was put to open shame. He was put to open shame as he hung there naked in front of the people. And you know, when your sin is exposed, shame is a painful thing to bear. But he hung in shame so you could stand in grace. He hung in shame so you could stand in grace. He hung in that place exposed. And and don't misconstrue me tonight. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. He was the sinless, perfect, spotless Lamb of God that was slain for the sin of the world. He never uttered a sinful word. He never did a sinful thing. He never had a sinful thought. And that's almost unfathomable for us to to consider because you know we know our own minds and how our minds are so often filled with things that are displeasing to God but not the Son of God. And he hung there in open shame. He hung there in open shame so that you could stand in his grace, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be cleansed of your sin, so that you could be a new creature in Christ, so the burden of your shame could be lifted from your shoulders. Somebody in the house of God better be thankful for that tonight. I mean, that's just good news. That is good news. You know, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and then what? Yeah, say it like it's happened to you, okay? Is there anybody in the house of God that's been forgiven and cleansed of their sins? Mm. Forgiven. Forgiven. The burden has been lifted. He has sent your sins away. He remembers them no more. He has given you what you don't deserve, his grace. And it's not just that he's lifted the sin. It's not just that he doesn't account it to you anymore. The Bible says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute his iniquity or her iniquity. Because you've trusted in Christ, God doesn't count your sin against you. We'll pause right there. But not only that, the Bible says he cleanses you. He cleanses you from the the burden of guilt He cleanses you from the the misery of shame. You know what it's like when your sin is exposed, and even when it's not exposed, the, the shame that you carry on the inside that maybe nobody else sees, but you live with day after day, and it haunts you, and it hurts you, and it wounds you, and you carry this wound with you, and I've got good news for you tonight. He hung there in open shame so that you could be cleansed of your shame, so that wound could be touched, so that burden could be lifted, so that pain could be taken away, so that you could know that you stand before God, holy and righteous and forgiven of your sin. He bore that for you. Kings have banners. Banners wave proudly over their kingdoms. 
Oftentimes, as a king is making his way in a procession, as banners go before him, there's symbols and badges that identify the regalness of the, of the king. And oftentimes, they symbolize national pride. And this king didn't have a banner. He had one single sign, one single sign that had been made by Pilate that said, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This sign wasn't meant to proclaim his majesty. This sign wasn't meant to, to exalt his kingdom. This sign wasn't meant to expose the regalness of this king. This sign was meant to mock him, to minimize him, to signify his rejection. And in fact, that was the heart of the people at the time. As they looked at the sign, you know what their response was. Don't write Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, but write, he said, right? He said he was the king of the Jews. These religious leaders notoriously clamored for Caesar as their king because they were offended at this sign. And I want to say to you today, let me just remind you that every detail of his suffering has import, it has meaning, there's intention behind it, whether it's the crown of thorns or the robe that was hastily wrapped around his shoulders or this sign that was made, he was despised and rejected so that you could be accepted and loved. He took the rejection that you and I deserve. He took the jeering from the religious leaders and them casting him away. He was sent outside of the city of Jerusalem as an expression of the rejection of the nation, of their king, because they didn't want him to be king over them. But he did that. He endured that. He suffered that. He went through that. He journeyed through it. And he didn't quit, by the way. He didn't give up. He didn't come up short. He didn't fail to finish the race. I was thinking about the Garden of Gethsemane and, you know, those final moments with his disciples in prayer and how Jesus got up from the Garden of Gethsemane and that, that moment where he was asking that the Father would take the cup from him, but nevertheless not, not his will be done, but the Father's will. And then he got up and, man, he, it was almost like he bolted to his betrayer. You know, he, it was almost as if, and this is the way the Bible puts it. I mean, there was no fear in him. It was all strength and courage. The, the Bible says in the book of Isaiah that he set his face as flint. There was a determination that was made. And that determination carried him all the way to Calvary. Through the jeering, through the mocking, through the rejection, through the despising of his own people. So that when you and I put our trust and faith in him, we could be accepted and loved by God and be, call, and be called beloved. And be, do you know you're beloved tonight? Do you know you're loved by God? Man, you roll into this place and, and the truth is this, maybe your life, maybe you're loved by a whole bunch of people. You got a bunch of followers on social media and you're just like, you're the cream of the crop. You're the toast of the town. Nothing could be sweeter than you. And then maybe, on the other hand, you know, you, you have nobody. You have nobody. Make no mistake here tonight, there are suffering people sitting in the seats here in this worship center. Not all of us are cruising in, you know, on a spiritual high. Some of us are walking alone through the valley of the shadow of death. And, you know, we feel alone. 
We feel forgotten. We feel dismissed. We feel marginalized. Tonight, you feel like you've been cast off, but I want to tell you, if you put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, you will, you will never be cast off by him. You will never be cast off by him. You're sitting in the seat of life right now, and you feel like no one is sitting next to you. Well, if you believe in Jesus, he is right by your side. Church, can I tell you tonight, if you're a follower of Christ, you're in good company. Man, you're in good company. You're in the best company. Kings, earthly kings are flanked by dignitaries. You know, oftentimes when a king was seated on his throne, he would be surrounded by his prime minister and his generals and other nobility would be flanking him. In the court of the king would be the most prestigious people of the land. You know, like in the court of the king would be the who's who. All the celebrities, all the stars, would be gathered around this king because everyone wanted to be as close as possible to the king. But this king, our king, heaven's king, the king of kings and the lord of lords, this suffering king was, fl was flanked by two brigands, two thieves, two murderers, not shouting his praise, not extolling his honor and his majesty, but initially blaspheming him. I mean, imagine this, two people that are being crucified, having barely enough strength to take a breath of air, and yet, and yet in those final moments, finding themselves in a place where they're mocking and deriding the person that's crucified in the middle. Crucified in the middle. But in that moment, his power was so palpable that one of those thieves, as an argument was breaking out between them, came to his senses, had his sight restored. I'm not talking about physical sight. He had his spiritual sight restored, and he recognized that this man in the, in the middle, that this seemingly meaningless person was in fact not a meaningless person, was not just another man in the middle being crucified, was not just some castaway, but that he was a king. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, surely I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This man's life, this man's life was hanging in the balance. And it's a reminder for you and for me that it's never too late to put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ. It is never too late. When the devil says to you, it's too late, God says to you, hurry up. He says, hurry up. Jesus was flanked by sinners. Jesus, think, think this through. Jesus was flanked by sinners so you could be surrounded by angels. Jesus was flanked by sinners so you could be surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And, and we look at, we look at the, the three that are crucified and we recognize in the final moments as one man's life was hanging in the balance, he came to his senses and he made up his mind. He made up his mind. The devil may have said to him, too late. God said to him, hurry up. And he made a choice. And I want to encourage you tonight, would you make up your mind? Would you make up your mind? Stop living in this this place of a middle ground. Stop living in the place of a middle ground with a man in the middle. 
Because he's not just some man in the middle. He's not just another guy. He's not just some figure in history. He's not some religious emblem or icon for revolutions. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he calls you to himself. He calls you. He calls you to himself so that you can be called to the heavenly host. So that one day you can stand amongst the holy angels of God and those who are redeemed. And you can hear the sound of heaven as all of heaven will cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. <laughs> Kings are loved by their people. They're celebrated, they're revered, they're honored, they're respected. You know today, as you maybe look at the procession of the King of England, you see that the streets are lined with people. People holding signs, people holding flowers, people shouting words of affection and gratitude, people looking to just get a glimpse of the king, but not the suffering king. He was despised and rejected, and as he made his way from the Antonio Fortress to the place of crucifixion, his consort was a small band of, of women who followed him weeping, a small band of women. The, the, the crowds were not lining the streets, hailing this king. It was a small band of women who followed him, weeping and pouring out their hearts. It was a group of religious leaders who hurled, who hurled their threats, who hurled their mockery at him. It was the masses that were altogether ignorant. Think, think about this. It was the masses who were all together ignorant that passing before them was the king of the universe. Could you imagine? Can you imagine that? Not, not carried in a royal carriage, but burdened under his cross. Can you imagine being in that place 2,000 years ago in the hustle and bustle of the city of Jerusalem, preparing your Sabbath, preparing for your Sabbath, gathering all the things that you need, and there's this thing that consistently happens in the old city because you're living under the, the yoke of Roman bondage. Here's another procession with another group of people just being crucified, and of course, you know, you, you got a lot to do. You're just busy, and so there you are. There you are doing your thing while the king of the universe passes you by. Let me tell you tonight, don't be so busy that you miss him. Don't be so busy that you miss him. Don't be so busy that you miss the king passing by. Don't be so busy with your job. Don't be so busy with your toys. Don't be so busy with your phone and your social media. Don't, have I hit home on anybody yet? I'm just, I don't hear any like, ooh, ah, you know, so I'll just keep going until I do. <laughs> don't, don't, don't be so, here's one for you. Don't be so busy with the news. <laughs> don't be so busy with the news. Don't be so caught up in the, in the thing that's happening in the world today. I'm not saying like live in ignorance. I'm just saying that we can be so obsessed with so many things we miss when the king is passing by. We miss when the king is passing by. He's worthy of your attention. He's worthy of that moment. 
He's worthy. And listen, I want to just thank God that you're here tonight because it's Las Vegas and you could be doing a lot of different things on a Friday night. You know that? But you, you came. You came to the house of God. You came to the house of God because you get it. Like you get it. You want to soak him in. You don't want to miss the moment. You didn't come tonight to be entertained. You didn't, hear, you didn't come tonight to hear some buffoon speak. You didn't come tonight for a cup of coffee. You came tonight because you knew he was going to pass, pass by. You knew he was going to pass by, and you knew that as he did, he was going to deliver a blessing to your soul. You knew that in the valley, he was going to lift you up. You knew that in the sorrow, he was going to fill you with joy. You knew that in the confusion, he was going to give you wisdom. You knew that in your lostness, that you would be found. You knew tonight that he would touch you in just the way that he is able to do, because you know what? That's what he does. That's what he does. We can all walk out of this place tonight, and we can have a, a very unique testimony of how the Lord has spoken to us if, if we're paying attention, if our ears are open, if our heart is crying out, God, speak to me, speak to me. I don't want to miss you. I've missed you enough in my life. I've had too many moments, too many minutes, too many days, too many months, too many years where I just wasn't paying attention. Too much of my life, even after giving my life to you, has been spent in the ether, in the ether, distracted and consumed and tied up all in knots. And tonight I just want to get to a place where my eyes are set on you because, because these eyes have been made for you and you are the most worthy thing that they can behold. I want to touch your garment. I want to touch your garment. I want to touch your garment even if it's just touching the hem. Even if it's just feeling the force of your power as you move by. Minister to me. Finally tonight, I want to remind you that earthly kings sit on a throne. The throne is the greatest symbol of power and authority for a king. It's reserved for the king and the king alone. Like, you just wouldn't walk into the king's court and cruise over to the throne and have a seat. That, that's not the way that it works. Uh, you would be probably put to death because the throne was reserved for the king, a place of dignity, a place that was representative of his authority. It expressed his right to rule. This king, our king, the king of heaven, the suffering king, chose a cross for his throne. He chose a cross for his throne. The cross was the greatest symbol of shame and rejection ever concocted by humanity. His arms weren't resting on an armrest, they were nailed to the wood. His feet weren't resting on a footstool, they were nailed to the beam. He didn't sit in majestic repose. His body heaved up and down as he gathered a breath and then his diaphragm closing on his lungs, forcing the air out as he and the others slowly were suffocating. But I want to tell you, he hung on the cross so that he could hang on to you. He hung on the cross so that he could hang on to you. 
And I've got good news for you tonight. If you've believed in Jesus, he's hanging on to you. He's hanging on to you. You're going through a trial tonight. Hey, he's hanging on to you. Finances are low. You don't know where you're going to get the money to pay your rent. Well, I've got good news. He's hanging on to you. You're in the middle of a difficult marriage, and you don't know which way is up, and you don't know what to do. Well, I've got good news. He's hanging on to you. He's got you. You don't know what you're going to do for work. You don't know what the next day holds. You need some wisdom, and the way is not clear. You are in the palm of his hand. He hung on the cross. And I know in that moment, in that existential moment where emotions are overwhelming, and you know, in the midst of it, when you're walking through it, when, when you're journeying through your own suffering and you're feeling it, sometimes there's that tendency to say, God, well, where are you? Well, God, how do I know you're hanging on me? And in those moments, you have to go back to the cross because he proved his love and loyalty to you once and for all when he hung there on the cross, declaring to you, once you come to me, I am never letting you go. I'm never letting you go. And so let me tie this up, all right? He is hanging on to you, so you know what? You need to hang on to him. You need to hang on to him. Yeah, you're in the palm of his hands, but I want to reinforce tonight the need that you and I have to make an intention in our hearts to cling to Christ with everything that we have. You're going through it tonight, hang on to him. You're tempted to quit tonight, hang on to him. You want to throw the towel in because things have gotten hard. Because, because you know what? Life is hard. Life is hard. Whoever told you that life wouldn't be difficult was lying to you. Life is filled with many blessings and also many burdens. And when you're burdened and when you're struggling and times are hard and difficult, there are a lot of things that the devil will tempt you to hold on to. He will say to you, hey, you know what? Hey, hold on to that bottle. Hold on to that bottle. Take another drink. Take another drink. Hold on to that drug. Hold on to that experience. Hold on to that relationship. Hold on to that place that you know that you go to, that place you go to to numb yourself, to distract yourself. Hold on to the things of the world, the devil says, and God says, no, hold on to my son. Cling to my son because he'll never fail you. He will never let you down. He is worthy for you to hang on to him because he hung in there for you. Your life is not just hanging in the balance when you're hanging on to Jesus. <laughs> And we have great news for you tonight. He's not changing anytime soon, man. Thank, thank God for that. You know, let me, just, let me just bring it to the close tonight. You know, this was what happened here in this moment. Pilate brings, Pilate brings Jesus forth after everything's been said and done. He brings him forth and he says, behold the man. Now, I mean, I'm not necessarily sure what it was that Pilate meant when he said that. It is possible that what he was saying was, hey, here's your king, right? Here's your king. He's nothing. He's unworthy. He's like the rest of you Jews, weak and pathetic. 
I mean, because this was the mindset of Pilate. Make no mistake about it, Judea was the hardest territory region to govern in the Roman Empire. And so when they picked a governor to govern, they, they picked the hardest, they picked the most ruthless, they, they picked the most uncompassionate person they could think of. And that was, that was Pilate, that was Pontius Pilate. And so it's probable that this was the mindset that he had because, you know, he had no respect for the Jewish people. He had no respect for their customs. He had no respect for their God. And so when he said, behold, here's your king, he's like, hey, you know what? He's just like the rest of you, nothing and unworthy, weak and pathetic, no more powerful than the insect that I'm just about to crush underneath my sandal. And so when he presented Jesus, that may have been his, his attitude, just this derogatory mindset. You know, I read that section and I think, man, I think, man, behold my king. Behold my king. I'm a, I'm, there he is, crucified to a cross, put to open shame, the most embarrassing thing a person could ever endure. There he is with the crown of thorns that's been plated upon his head. And he's been stripped bare. And I know, I know you think the same thing after all he's done in touching your life and transforming you. Like David the psalmist said, he has pulled you up out of the miry clay. Anybody here tonight? Maybe one or two of you. He's pulled you up out of the miry clay and he has set your feet upon a rock. He has put a new song in your mouth. He has liberated and freed you so that you could be a worshiper of God. And you know what? You, you hear the, the heart of the apostle Paul when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for I know it to be the power of God unto salvation. And while the world may look at our king, while the world may look at our king and think, man, pathetic and poor and miserable and, and powerless, we look at that suffering we look at that suffering God-man because that's what he is. He is the God-man. He is, it's the, it, I don't mean to get theological on you tonight, but it, that is the hypostatic union. It is the infinite mystery of how you have within Christ two natures. He is the God-man naked on the cross, and he is my king. He is your king. And my point here tonight is this, his suffering was perfect. There was nothing that was missing from it. Every detail, every detail was known by God before it ever even happened. Make no mistake about it, it wasn't, the, the cross is the single most important thing about his suffering. It's the epicenter, it is the focus, of course. But every other detail mattered as well. And the whole point, right, he comes forth and he says, after he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He says, it is finished. It is finished. It is complete. It's been done. There's nothing you can add to it. There's, not, there's no way to embellish it. There's, there's no way to make it better. There's no way to adorn it. It is absolutely perfect in all of its ways. He has redeemed you perfectly, and he didn't miss a thing. He took the crown so you could share in his glory. He took the shame so you could be cleansed. 
He absorbed the rejection so you could be accepted. He was flanked by sinners so you could be surrounded by angels. He hung on a cross so you would never be forsaken. And I've got great news for you. He rose again. He rose again on the third day. Did you know that? Did you know that? Did you know that death could not hold him down? Did you know that the punctuation mark at the, at the cross was not a period but a hyphen because the story wasn't over? Did you know that even though they buried him and rolled the, the, the stone across the tomb and the Romans set a guard, that the Roman Empire itself with all the power that was placed in that seal could not withstand the power of the sun rising again from the dead on the third day? Man, it is good. He is alive. And not only that, check it out. Check, check this out. Are you ready for this? He's coming again. He's coming again. He is coming again. And I don't know if you know this, but when he comes again, he will have a royal diadem on his majestic brow. He will have a robe that's dipped in blood with the name written on it that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. My king is going to sit on the throne of David. He will not be rejected by people. He will be loved and honored by his people. He will be flanked by his apostles. And heaven's host of angels and all of redeemed humanity will declare this. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Let's pray. Listen, you give him praise first because I don't, I don't want to hold that back. <laughs> Make it loud enough for the angels to hear. <laughs> Make it loud enough that he's worthy of. <laughs> Make it the loudest that you have ever praised him in your life. <laughs> Yeah, he has clothed you with the garment of praise tonight. He is worthy. He is worthy. Father, thank you so much for your son. Thank you for the suffering he endured. Thank you for the, thank you for the, the road he walked. Thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you for his endurance. Thank you for his compassion. Thank you for his loving kindness and his tender mercies. Thank you for those eyes that burn like flames of fire for us. Thank you that he saw us before we were ever born, while we were in our mother's womb. Thank you that he did not turn his gaze away while we were in the midst of our sinful rebellion. Thank you that he's passed by our lives and poured out his blessings redemption and forgiveness and cleansing and healing and grace and renewal. 
Thank you that he has taken us at our worst. Thank you that he still takes us at our worst. Thank you that he's never ashamed or embarrassed of us. Thank you that he takes joy as he sings his song over our lives. Thank you that one day he will proclaim our name before heaven's host and before you, our Holy Father. Thank you that he hung on the cross and he'll never let us go. 